So hey, Henry, how you doing? Good. It's a nice day. It's gorgeous. Better than yesterday. Is the audio working okay? Yeah, the audio is working great. Good? Yeah. Nice fall day. Oh my God. The leaves on the trees are... Yeah, they took a while to come out. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to winter, but... No. A lot of metaphors and seasons, though, huh? Sure. The constant changing. And that being said, I like three seasons out of four. So. Yeah. Although when I used to do more outdoor activities... Summer? You don't like summer? No, I do. I don't <laughs> like winter, right? I know. I figured right. as much. <laughs> but when I used to ski and do more outdoor activities in the winter, that made it, a, that made it more fun. Yeah. Yeah, we can walk through the meadow. There's yeah, a meadow that was... So, uh, there's a herd of deer that come through and make their home there. Travel around everybody's backyard and eat the leaves and <laughs> vegetables as you're growing. Do their deer thing. They do their deer thing. It's fun in the winter. We can see them coming up and <clears throat> when it's cold out in the snow. Yeah. And have the fire on in the fireplace. And you can see them coming up to the window to look almost. Oh, wow. They don't get right up to the window. Yet. So you were yeah. talking about the seasons. Everything changes and everything builds on everything else. Yeah. <clears throat> So, you know, when springtime comes around, we're going to be talking about how the spring is going to be affected by the snow cover of the winter. Yes. And if we don't get enough snow, we won't have enough water in the spring. Yep. And then if the spring is too wet, it'll destroy the growing season. And if the summer is too hot, yeah. you have a drought, everything builds. Yeah, and something else. So. Well, it's so interesting because I, I really feel like you're pointing to the the deep, overarching lesson for my my soul in this incarnation, which is moderation, mm-hmm. learning moderation. Well, it's also this whole podcast on unraveling religion. Yeah, it's you don't strike me as somebody who's keeping something static or pure in that sense of. Once created a certain way, it can never change. I mean, the whole point is... I hope not. Yeah. Thank you for (laughs) noticing. Right. 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 And as I think about it more and more, that's what... That when I got introduced to the Sufi path I follow, that's the path that had changed the idea of Sufism pretty dramatically. So when I got introduced in the West by Anaya Khan... Yeah. who was from India. The first thing he did was make it universal. You didn't have to be Muslim. Right. Just well, human. Right. Sure. Sufi path. Yeah. But to me, that's an example of syncretism. It changed. What he actually did was, he didn't say this, but you know, there's the perennial philosophy. You find the thread that goes through all the traditions. Yeah. That's exactly what he teaches. Yeah. 
So he was teaching opening up and being more universal and inclusive and accepting. Yep. And not so demanding that you had to follow an exoteric religion. Yep. And so to me, that keeps moving and it keeps changing. Yeah. If that became static, never to be influenced by something else. Right. Well, that wouldn't be natural. Right. And. Well, I, I think, yeah, I think of this in terms of like, you know, I, my adherence is like really, my, my attraction is to like Buddhism, Zen Buddhism. Right. And also Judaism. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the Zen reflects better the ever-changing makeup of life, the ever, the, the deep river flow of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Because right. life is ever-changing, ever-flowing. Right. Yeah. And, and most of the, well, in the Sufi tradition, at least, the, you know, the teaching is you, you follow nature. Nature is the greatest teacher. Yeah. yeah. So f- nature is always changing, like we yeah. talked about yeah. You know, is there only one way to have spring? I mean, <laughs> how can you say that? Right. You know, you, there's something that's spring-like. I, yeah. I know spring when I feel it. But yeah. it's almost like a quality. Yeah. So right. The, yeah, the, yeah. The explorations of shamanism that I'm doing, it, it's become so much more meaningful to call in the directions. Uh, calling in the energy of the south and the west and the north. Yeah. And you want to go through the meadow? Yeah, let's go through the meadow. This is beautiful. I, you know, it's kind of, again, kind of strange to find this here. Oh, it's nice in the fall with all the leaves down. Yeah. And, uh, this town has a whole network of trails. Uh-huh. That's there's really amazingly pretty and extensive and uh, one of my favorite trails you come off uh, you enter behind the church yep and very quickly you're in a place that you're, you you start going up and down these hills yeah you come up on a stream yeah uh, you're really in a pretty deep valley yeah and you hear traffic like we hear, but it starts to sound natural. It starts to sound like the ocean. Oh. And you can walk for miles. Oh. And you're up and down these trails. Yeah. And it's really gorgeous. Now, whatever age you're at, Henry, yeah. um, <laughs> whatever age that is, yeah. are you feeling fulfilled? Are you feeling fulfilled in sort of like your path and journey, your soul's journey? Yeah, I have to say yes. I still have a restlessness. Yeah. I'm not fulfilled like I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I still have things I want to do and ideas. Yeah. Uh, so it, it isn't a static thing. It's not fulfilled in the sense of done. Right. It's fulfilled in the sense that I think I found a niche that I like. It feels like... It's, it has a purpose and a meaning. Yeah. Um, it seems valuable um, for more than just me, the people that I work with. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the, the the fun we have and the audience we reach with the podcast. Yeah. 
you, you know, that's... It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. And so the, the podcast that I have, The Alchemical Dialogue... Yeah. And I think with Unraveling Religion, too, but you, you know, I don't know all of the guests that you've had. Uh-huh. The, the niche that got created is people that I know that don't... Most of them don't have a national prominence. Right. But the work they're doing, once they start talking about it, mm-hmm. is so moving. Yeah. And with most of them, you included, it's more than I knew when I knew them just as a friend and we would have right. casual conversations. Yes. When I say, well, would you like to do a podcast? I know you're interested in et cetera, whatever. Yep. Yep. We start talking about it. The breadth and or the depth, what they're doing, the meaning that they have in their life yeah. and how it's affected other people. Yeah. Is it's hard. You just can't ignore that, right? And so, there's a gratification at whoever the audience is that can listen to this, yeah. realizing here are people like all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us may have a larger sphere of influence than others, but like in every person, every person has this ability when they find something that's so meaningful to them and they start sharing it the influence that has Mm -hmm. and just hearing a person's experience for me has been really inspirational and I know it's inspired other people and like most things other people are starting to make connections uh, with people who are on the podcast and you start learning from each other Mm -hmm. Uh, but I wanted to ask you um what first drew you to the spiritual path? Uh, I was a somewhat unhappy psychiatrist. I was in the middle of my career, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was doing okay. Yep. And, whoops, might have been... I'm going to back... Yeah, yeah. Go this way Sounds great. Around. I think I was running a training program. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I had a... It, I had a good life, and um, but there was something unsettling. Yeah. Um, and would you describe it as the same restlessness that you have now, or oh, something no, else? Something no, else. No, something else. Yeah. Here is a restlessness to do more. I understand not that. Yeah. To do more of what I'm doing, and yep. to make it more creative, and to reach out to more people, and to go deeper. Yeah. Back then, it was more like something was missing yeah Um, I don't feel like there's something missing now Uh, it's it's uh, it's like it's like we're like we're walking on this path I'm on the path that I want to be on yeah that feels like the right path yeah but I want to see what's around the corner sure because there's something more there's curiosity things that remain it felt like this isn't as fulfilling as it could be, or it yeah. should be. Something was missing. Yeah. So some of that was personal, my personal life. Some of it was professional life. Um, and I think that that got me curious. Yeah. And um, what a blessing to have that unsettledness. Yeah, I mean, it was uncomfortable, and I yeah. had it again. It felt like it only happened once. Yeah. Until things 
seems to click. So that was one. And then, uh, boy, I can't quite remember how it how it happened. It was during that time. I I was I read uh, a book by Tom Brown Jr. And I think I was I was hiking and I was in good shape. I was riding horses. I was hiking. I was backpacking. Yeah. But I really don't know a lot about nature. And I picked up a field guide by Tom Brown Jr. Okay. Who's a famous tracker. And it was actually a pretty good field guide that helped me understand some things to look for. Yep. And then he had written a series of books that were kind of autobiographical. Yeah. And I picked up the first one and I read it and I was, I liked it. It was, yeah. you know, about how he fell into his path as a kid. Right. At the early part of his training as a 12-year-old boy. Right. So there was a, I knew there was a whole series of these. And uh, I was curious. So I go to... I haven't told you the story before. I don't think so. I, I went to Chicago to take my board exams. Yeah? In shell psychiatry. It was an overnight exam. Uh-huh. So I had one set of exams... And then I had nothing to do, and I was there by myself. Uh, so I went to a restaurant, and I was hanging out someplace, and I went to a bookstore. Yeah. And honest to God, I'm yep. in front of the shelf. Yeah. I didn't touch the shelf. Yeah. Right? And a book falls out. <laughs> yeah. Too. And I go down to pick it up at my feet, and it's the second volume of uh. that series by Tom Brown. Sure. Sure. So even then, I yeah. knew that meant I should probably buy that. <laughs> and I also you mean even with you have a very do you have a very different or, or a subtle level of different awareness now? Yeah, my, I'm more willing to admit it now. Yeah, yeah. Than I would have been back sure, then. Sure, sure. And I also had the feeling not only should I read it, but it probably means I should read them in sequence. Uh huh. Yeah. Which is uh, I, I can't. That's a good prove, inference. Yeah. Well. You know, when I read it, when I got to the fourth or fifth one, I, I reflected and said, if I had read, you know, the fourth or fifth first, I'm not sure I would have even gone back to read anything. Sure. Because it brought me along. It's kind yeah. of like, well, if you believe the story in the first one, then you're more open to the second. Sure. If it you evolves. believe the second, yeah, you're yeah. a little more open to the third. Sure. If it's like a started, slow awakening, right, like a soda. You start awakening. in the middle. He would say, what's he talking about? Right. You know, this can't be, he's, this is all fiction. So that, that was a big piece. That started, so it started getting me a little more aware of forces in nature that yeah. were beyond me. Yep. And then uh, we live in an area that has some indigenous influence. Yeah. And I was living in Victor then, and I started to volunteer at a Native American historical site and learned a little about that. And so started reading about indigenous and got a little curious about that, but didn't have... I started... I can't remember when I did my first sweat lodge, but some experiences with that. But I didn't have a teacher... I didn't have a strong connection. I, I really, that's a hard connection for me. 
uh, what's a hard connection for you? Being connected to, to indigenous? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I, because I, sometimes I don't, I don't feel it. I feel like it's not. It feels foreign. Uh, it feels foreign to me. Yeah. So I stuck with it for a while. That got me interested in shamanism. Yeah. And I went to a, a seminar in Boston yeah. with uh, Michael Harner. Uh-huh. The instructions were, bring a rock with you. Mm-hmm. So this was back before the days of airline security like it is now. Right. So I had this rock that I really liked, but it was pretty big. Uh-huh. And so um, I brought it. I, I got in okay. Bringing it back, they actually looked at me and said, what are you doing with this rock? And I can't remember what I said, but I, got allowed, I would never be allowed on the plane now. I'm kidding. So anyways, um, so here it is. My first real exposure to shamanism besides reading, uh, I think it was The Way of the Shaman by Mike Harner. Mm-hmm. And this was my attempt to get more in touch with nature yeah. and something more indigenous. Yeah. I remember the, the, the teaching with the rock was... Look at the rock and let it speak to you. Yep. And in spite of that, I got to admit, I came back and I tried drumming and I tried journeying and I just, I, it just It opened wasn't. you to something though. Well, it, now I know that because yeah, here yeah. we are like, yeah, how many decades later? Yeah. And I'm exploring shamanism more seriously and doing it with a group of people. Yeah. Taking journeys and integrating yeah. it with the Sufi practice, so it didn't make an impact. Yeah, but it, it did start something. Yeah, uh, it started me about thinking about the unseen, uh, and I kept reading. Yeah, Tom Brown's stuff. Yeah, and uh, got some things out of that. If, actually, I fell into Buddhism. Oh, and that's Tibetan what, Buddhism, right? Tibetan Buddhism, right? And. So it, it started with some feeling like like it was like my midlife turn. Uh-huh. Sure. But it was feel, a feeling of emptiness. There was something not right. Yeah. Something was missing. Yeah. And it was internal. I had the external stuff. Uh, Very common in our culture. Yeah. And, you know. You get the role, but you don't have the inner life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then I got serious in Tibetan Buddhism. And then... Because of a variety of circumstances, I fell into Sufism, which found that felt much more like like me. That felt yeah. like home. Sufism really it, it feels like the deepest resonance for you. Oh, it does. It, it still does. Yeah. Uh, if I had to guess what was happening, is I was being drawn to mysticism, yeah. to having my own. Having and trusting my own personal experience yeah. of purpose, meaning, and connection. Sure. But it had to be mine. Yeah. And every time I would get into something organized, there was something about... You brush up against the edges of it. Yeah. Right. But I took something from it. Yep. And so, you know, Sufism was the one that I stayed with an organization the longest of anything. Yeah. Uh... But when I look back now, the the mystical path that I'm following doesn't, you know, I call it Sufism, but it doesn't have a name anymore. Right. It's mysticism. It's a little yeah. bit of shamanism, a little bit of 
being respectful of what I learned from the indigenous explorations. Yeah, there's some there's some Buddhism in it. Right. Uh, I'm studying with somebody. Oh, yeah. We're, we are. Uh, somebody recently got interested in studying Sufism with me. Mm -hmm. His background is Christianity. Yeah. So we're studying the Lord's Prayer in the original Aramaic. Yep. And that was researched by a Sufi. And so we're studying that book. Yep. And I have some experience with that. But it's reawakening some of the Christian things. And I, I never had that presented to me by a teacher. Yeah. So, you know, I had a Catholic upbringing in elementary school, high school, even college. But it was all traditional, conservative. Uh, nowhere did I get introduced by a mentor about anything mystical. Right. And I didn't get it on my own. So that's a long answer to how it gets started. But you gotta fun, love it, though. What I, what's fun now is that I can see the thread yeah. that I was following without really knowing what I was following. Yep. And now it's it's getting integrated. So uh, Tom Thomas More wrote one of my favorite books of his is A Religion of One's Own. Yep. You know, I mean, I got attracted to it because of what I was going through. Yeah. But I, I think about it now and it's like, that's it. Yeah. It's, and they're, they're, I mean, he's obviously not the only one. Yep. But he and others like him, you know, are opening up. No, you, you, you do have to, you do have to make it your own. Yeah. And you can learn from different paths at the same time. Yep. But it has to become your own. Yeah. And I'm really in, intrigued with that because I think it's a matter of respect. Yeah. It's a matter of... And asking permission and an honoring of the yeah, teachings. Yeah. It, it's the honoring. It's, it's not just the taking. Yeah. It's an honoring. And how that honoring happens, yeah. sometimes it's with the teacher. Sometimes it might be internal. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about Amberlight? Sure. So Amberlight International uh, is a not-profit, educational, spiritual uh, corporation that we're keeping really loose. There's no membership fee. You don't join. You just can hang out with us and come to classes and come to celebrations. Is it's a spiritual educational organization. That's wonderful. As opposed to how it was first set up, which was the spiritual is integrated into the mind-body focus. Um, so we kept it pretty low-key yeah. for years, and we're, we would co-sponsor some of the Sufi activities we did with a local organization to keep it alive and develop a mailing list. Yeah. And then when I changed the leadership, we just redesigned the website okay. and added new activities and podcasts. And we're still adding things and changing things. So uh, so we can reach people and people can find us. But that's pretty exciting. Uh, we started off with some teachings from Anaya Khan about desire, wish, and will. Uh -huh. How do you manifest things that you sure, want? Sure, sure. Uh, or not selfishly, but are, that are like, what's your purpose? Right. And then over the years, I started including some teachings from psychology, Buddhism, 
So the group came up with a group wish. And interestingly enough, I didn't expect that. That was the first time we did it. And it was a group of about 12 people. Yeah. So it was really intensive. And so the inspiration came that the group would come up with a wish. And we did. Uh -huh. And it took two or three more years. And within the group, and this requires a certain degree of faith and, and trust and confidence, you could see it manifesting in the group. Mm -hmm. And then there seemed to be a turning point. Some people left, some new people came in. And then we continued on that, but started incorporating some shamanic practices and healing practices and Buddhist practices. And it got to a deeper level. It wasn't a wish for the group. It's what the group could do for the greater humanity. Sure, sure. And now it's at another turning point. So some people are leaving and it's open for some new people to come in. But, uh, so we did that and seeing how people's lives have started to change and how the group has changed and the group has become more supportive and cohesive. Yeah. And people are starting to feel their ability to lead and to offer more freely. That's really, you know, I love teaching and I'd love to see that blossoming and, sure. and how exciting it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. We do almost everything, by the way, in Amberlight on Zoom. Uh-huh. And if you're around, we can do it. You, you, we do it simultaneously with a certain number of people gathering. Yep. But COVID threw a monkey wrench in there. Sure, sure. The stories people tell of how it changed their lives. Yeah. Just, you know. Gives, I, you, I gives you purpose. Gives you meaning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, they, the changes have stayed. And to see people using it personally, using it in relationships, yep. applying the principles to different situations. Yep. So what this I don't is all have, part of your, This is all part of your path, Henry, yeah. you know? I work with some of these people pretty closely, so part uh -huh. of what... part I still guide people spiritually. Yep. And so most of the people in the class, but not all of them, were students that I guide regularly. So yeah. I could really feel the changes that were happening. Yeah. They've talked about and demonstrated the changes. Yeah. And um, so, so it's, it's a mix of humanistic psychology, philosophy with spiritual practices. And mm -hmm. most of the traditions that we're taking from spiritually are Buddhists, mostly Sufi, some shamanic, because I got exposed to that as well. Uh -huh. And uh, so we're probably in our so that's kind of you know we do podcasts like this yeah alchemical and, dialogues yep. and unraveling religion are like cousins yes we are <laughs> and i write blogs and i'm starting to write essays and um we're going to start doing some workshops we're i'm going to do a workshop in the spring with uh one of the students studying with me about the aramaic prayer yeah and that'll be open to anybody and then we're going to do one in the fall that i got to really think about. I think I mentioned it to you on revisiting the ego. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's mystics, we talk about the ego. It has always bothered me. And that's what I want to talk. That's what I want sure. to have this workshop on. Yeah. Uh, 
both of those will be somewhat time limited. They won't go on forever. Yep. And then a couple of other panel discussions on spirituality and religion. I mentioned that to you, the difference between the two. Yep. <clears throat> so let me ask you, like, we're, we're approaching your house. We, yep. like, left your house yes, a while ago. We've, we've been on the path. Yes. And now I'm just wondering, do you have any final thoughts or reflections that you want to share? The integration that's happening now in me, mm. that has, that's the most meaningful thing oh. that for me that, that's the most meaningful experience that I can, um, that I'm feeling. Yeah. Uh, when I got into Sufism, that helped a lot, mm -hmm. where I didn't feel like, well, I have to put on my psychiatry hat and I have to put on this other hat. Right. Things really started to come together. Yeah. And then, when I trusted myself with the help of my teacher, who really urged me to really trust myself, yep. and to use my skills and not to be so wedded to, you have to have a credential or recognition from this organization. Right. And, you know, like I said, Thomas More and make it, make it your own. Yep. That has been, it's affected my personal life, it's oh. affected my... And it helped that I retired, and I. But not being part of any bureaucracy, yeah, and keeping Amberlight pretty low key, so it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not this big bureaucracy that yeah, I have yeah. to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my goodness, what that was an amazing freeing up experience. Liberation. Huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> I think if I, you know, if I had had the wisdom to do that, yeah, when I was younger, I might have been able to finesse it better. Yeah. If I had had more than that, if I had had the courage to know, no, I'm playing a game that needs to be played. Right. But really, there's something else going on. Right. Um, I think I would have felt better faster, but that's hindsight, you know. Who knows? Well, Henry, I want to thank you for this walk yeah, and talk. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's been really nice. Thanks.